thank you guys for coming. We didn't, a few of us did not get the memo that we were congregating in there first for the raffle. I guess now that I think about it, I do remember him saying that. But so we were just a couple of us in here. So we thought it was going to be really intimate. And then like 20 people showed up. So <laughs> we appreciate you guys being here. Uh, I will just, I will just tell you right now, because I think this happened to me last year. I've got the time slot right after lunch. So your Chick-fil-A is setting in, your normal nap time. This is Bruce's normal nap time, so it's setting in. So so I get it. I get it. I will not be offended if you're tired. If you have to get up and go get a cup of coffee, stand up. If you doze off, whatever, I won't be offended. I might throw things at you, but I will not be offended. So I I totally get it for real. If you need to go get a cup of coffee or stand up, do whatever, that's, that's fine. You need to kill it. I mean, no pressure, but I got to I got to kind of keep this thing energetic and going. So, well, we're going to talk about Christ and his intercession for us. So that ought to rev us up as Christians. Um, Nice segue. So. All right. So a couple of things to start out and I'm going to tell you basically where we're going to go. And I'll just say this was this was very beneficial to me. And hopefully it will be for you the next 50 minutes or so as we for the most part. This is probably not new. This is just a good thing to focus on and just a good reminder, right? Because it's happening 24-7, 365. But so often as Christians, we get busy. We've been doing, the, doing our lives, whatever. And we just sometimes take this for granted, right? Um, so what, what I wanted to start with is <clears throat> just defining terms. I, I think everybody in here probably is familiar with the basic terminology we're going to talk about today, but just wanted to check. Um, we're talking about uh, Christ as an intercessor, intercessory. So basically the verb um, intercede, to act or interpose on behalf of someone in difficulty or trouble as by pleading or petition, and then to attempt to reconcile differences between two people or groups. And oftentimes a synonym for intercede is mediate, right? And so we've heard kind of formal mediation, arbitration, you know, all of these words, it's kind of this act of someone or a process with multiple someones stepping in between two people, two parties, whatever, trying to reach an agreement or trying to broach a disagreement or whatever. So that's kind of the general concept here, right? Um, are there any examples that come to mind? Not don't, don't go biblical yet. Let's stay secular. Any examples that come to mind on intercede, mediator, arbitration, where, when y'all most most commonly hear those words? Divorce, divorce legal matters, right? What's that? Baseball contracts. Baseball, baseball contract. Yeah, sports agents, right? So that's typically when we hear those. I'm, you know, whether it be um, trying to settle something out of court in sort of a less formal way, a, a faster, cheaper way, you would kind of you have a mediator, arbitrator, whatever. Um, in the age of bazillion dollar sports contracts, they have arbitrators that come in, mediators, you know, agents, that sort of thing. Um, even on the spiritual side, I will say at least for me, and maybe this is the same for some of y'all, oftentimes when I hear about intercessory prayer, I think about us praying for each other, right? I mean, we have a whole sheet that we look at, you know, every Wednesday night and update often, you know, James does for us, of all kind of different prayer requests for people in this body, people in other bodies, you know, that non-believers, all, all the above. And so even in the, in the Christian realm, oftentimes when we think about intercessory prayer, that may be the first thing that, that comes to mind, you know, us sharing and praying and, and, and doing life with each other. Um, I don't think, at least for me, maybe for you, that we think about Christ's intercession 
that often or not as often as we should, right? And so I think I didn't really ask Alan, but I think that's probably why this is part of um, you know the breakout sessions today is just because this is incredibly important, but sometimes it's it's a little bit of an overlooked topic, right? So there at the bottom again, I don't know that you're going to hear anything new today at all. Sorry, um, but. I think the the purpose for me, and it's 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 done this for me as I prep for this, is that hopefully today this will just be a reminder that Christ is our intercessor if we are believers, right? And I think for the most part we're talking to believers here today. So, um, real quick, the we see all throughout um, Old Testament, you know, the roles of prophet, priest, and king. Of course, in the New Testament. Um, Jesus fulfills those roles perfectly as our prophet, priest, and king. Um, really what we're going to focus on today, because we could be here for three days talking about all of those things, we're going to just focus on the role of priest. Um, we're going to look a little bit at some Old Testament examples just to kind of get our thoughts going on how that looked like. And then ultimately when Christ came in the New Testament, we're going to park on one passage in particular that Corey touched on this morning, um, where Christ, while he was still here, performed intercessory prayer for his disciples and then ultimately all believers. That'll be John 17. And then we'll also spend a lot of time on what is he doing today, right, for for believers and then kind of a little bit of application. Okay, so Old Testament. And I'm going to have... All of this should be in your handout. If I I did this right, your handout should match that. Um, So feel free to take notes, not take notes. But I wanted to do that just because oftentimes... When I go to seminars and hear different things, I'm so busy taking notes that sometimes I miss stuff. Um, so at least I at least wanted you to have what's on here. So feel free to obviously do whatever you want, take notes or just listen. But uh, hopefully that kind of frees you up just to think a little bit more. Um, in the in the Old Testament, when we talk about the office of a priest, kind of just a couple of simple definitions I came across. The priest was ordained by God to be a spokesman for the people. So the priest spoke to God for the people, right? Um, And under this old covenant, the priest would not only offer sacrifices for the people, but they also interceded on their behalf before God. So here's just a few examples, and I think I listed these. Yeah, a few examples. Um, On the Day of Atonement, which was an an annual thing, um, the act of sacrifice included taking the sacrifice's blood into the Holy of Holies, where the priest cast it on the mercy seat, and he was asking God to pardon uh, the Israelites for their sins. And then there's an example, and there's many more, but in Second Chronicles about the priests actually praying for the people of Judah during the Passover celebration, again, kind of an annual thing. Um, one of many examples where the Israelites provoked God was when they made golden idols, right? And they were actually delivered and restored back to God through Moses' prayers, right? So all of these things are priests performing you know, one-time or annual, you know, acts so that he, there could be reconciliation between God and his people. Um, so in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, the high priest was the mediator between... Right. Yes, sir? Oh, yeah, 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 sorry. Y'all were supposed to remind me. Come on, class. <laughs> Everybody else has a hand up? Okay. Um, in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, the high priest was the mediator, um, God would come in judgment because of the sins of the people, and then the high priest would stand in their place offering sacrifices. So this did ultimately satisfy God's justice, but it also demonstrated his mercy because he would punish an innocent animal in the place of the guilty humans, right? So you you see where we're going with this, right? So this is all Old Testament. In fact, that last passage there, which is a very familiar one, 
we read part of you know this as part of a, a, a greater Isaiah passage, typically at Christmas time. Um, Isaiah fifty three twelve. Of course, this is uh, Isaiah prophesying about Christ and specifically about Christ and his role as the intercessor. So Isaiah fifty three twelve, he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. So obviously, you know, us on this side of the cross, having the access to the entire Word of God, you know, we can easily um, see all of these Old Testament um, priests temporarily fulfilling a role that Christ Christ once for all fulfilled when he came and ultimately uh, died on the cross and ascended into heaven. So let's look at the New Testament. We're going to spend a little time. If you have your Bibles, this will be the, the, the but we'll spend the longest time today in John chapter 17. So Corey was there briefly this morning in his opening message. Um, I did... I did find a MacArthur sermon almost 10 years ago where he was uh, preaching on a portion of John 17. So I'm stealing a little bit of his um, information from there, but it was really good. Um, So remember, and I don't know about your Bible, but my Bible, the heading, it's ESV, the heading of mine says the high priestly prayer. Does anybody have a different heading than the high priestly prayer? Everybody's got the same, either no heading or the same. Okay. Okay. This is when Christ is in the upper room with his disciples. Obviously, it's just before his arrest and ultimate crucifixion. So he's kind of getting in, you know, the the several chapters preceding this, he's kind of getting in his last round of advice, encouragement, spiritual truth, and many of those things he said before, he's just reiterating them. So this is kind of where he's wrapping that up. Um, My Bible calls this the high priestly prayer. Um, MacArthur and a number of other people call it really the true Lord's Prayer. You know, what we think of with the, when we say the Lord's Prayer, right? That's the one where Christ is modeling to the disciples, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, right? So if, if someone said, what's the Lord's Prayer to you or to me, that's probably what my answer would be because that's commonly what it's referred to. Really, that was the Lord modeling prayer for us, because, um, in fact, you know, there's a there's lines in there about asking for forgiveness and transgressions of sins. And so he obviously can't really pray that on his behalf. But what we're going to read here, and it's the entire chapter, is the actual Lord's Prayer. Right. So this is him praying you know, to his father. And we're going to see and Corey alluded to we're going to see who all he's who all he's praying to. Um, um, it's basically broken into three pieces. Um, first five verses. Let me read those for you. Yes, first second, first five. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. So at the beginning of this verse 1, he declares that his hour has finally come. You know, there have been a number of times in his ministry um, where he said, basically, my hour has not yet come. It's not time. Variations of that. Um, his hour has finally come for God to glorify his son, right? This is, this is the moment that he you know, was, was brought here to do, for him to fulfill everything that he came to do, to, to die, to rise from the dead, to ascend to heaven, and ultimately to be seated at the right hand 
of the Father to begin his intercession, his intercessory ministry, ultimately that God would be glorified. And, and basically the way that we look at that, that we can look at this, if you want to break it into three, is the first five verses, Jesus is praying that he would be glorified, right? The next two sections, 6 through 19 and 20 to 26, and we'll kind of look at them, you know, one section at a time. This is a glimpse um, on earth and recorded in scripture of what Christ's intersec- intercession looks like now and has been 24 by 7, 365 since he's been at the right hand of the Father. Um, you know, there's a, I guess, you know, MacArthur has said, if you're saved, you're going to heaven. We all know that. But the reason if you're saved, you're going to heaven is because Christ is interceding for us. Um, this is the means by which God brings us to glory. Um, and, and just what a, what a, a blessing for the saints to be able to have this recorded in Scripture to give us a, a, an example that we can sort of halfway co- maybe comprehend of the actual words that Christ prayed to foreshadow what he's going to ultimately do. Not you know, I guess he goes through the, the cross and the crucifixion and the resurrection and then 40 days, but then after that when he ascended, this is what he is doing for us while he's at the right hand of God. <clears throat> so let's look at the let's look briefly look at the two two sections. Of course, I think Corey mentioned both of these this morning, uh, but that the six through nineteen is um, Jesus is praying that his disciples would be glorified, and then twenty through twenty six, he's praying that all believers would be glorified. So he starts next in verse six, talking about specifically his disciples um, who were there with him. So let's look at that. I have manifested your name to the people whom you have whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. (coughs) Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours." All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world. Just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. Um, so basically, you know, this kind of sums up Jesus's ministry and what his purpose was to do. And can you imagine being one of the, I guess, one of the 11 um, who's sitting there listening to this, how encouraging and comforting this must be. And, and we know they still don't fully get it exactly what's about to happen. And we wouldn't either if we were sitting in their place, but can you imagine how comforting this is for them to witness Christ playing, praying to God the Father for that group of guys who were sitting around the table, right? And, you know, with the exception of, of um, John, who ultimately died an old man because he was exiled, you know, to an island, 
all the rest of the disciples, as far as we know, were martyrs for their faith. You know, and if this whole thing was a scam or whatever else, you can imagine. Of course, they initially did flee, but you could imagine at least some of them, probably all of them, would have said, "Okay, the gig is up. We're it, we're not willing to die for this." But I mean, like I say, with the exception of John, who was banned and, and died an old man, um, they all died for their faith. You know, and Peter, you know, built the church. I, I mean, so you you can just imagine starting now and certainly with the resurrection and the ascension that their faith just grew tremendously to the point that they were willing to do whatever it took to proclaim, you know, the name of, of Christ. Um, verse eleven, you know. Let me see where we're at, verse 11. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. I mean, he is praying for his disciples. He knows his departure is imminent. He's telling them his departure is imminent. The, the, next, the next verse, he's talking about protecting his disciples. And ultimately, of course, we'll read here in a few verses, you know, he's applying it to us. But, you know, believers in general are secure um, because of, of Christ. Um, and then verse 15, he's praying he's praying that his disciples will be protected from Satan. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, so I'm not asking you to pluck them and bring them to heaven with me, but that you keep them from the evil one, right? So um, again, just a tremendous example and a tremendous encouragement I've got to think for these 11 who were sitting around listening. If we, if we continue on from there with verses 20 to 26, he broadens who he's praying for, not for these specific ones sitting there, but then, but now he's going to pray for all believers. Um, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they, that they may all be one, just as you father are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world we know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know you these know that you have sent me. I've made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. So he's praying for unity. Um, <clears throat> he's praying for the, that the that the praise of the believers will be with him in heaven and ultimately see his full glory. And then really the verses 25 and 26, those last two that we read, kind of summarizes the entire prayer in the chapter. And he says that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Um, and if you think about it, I mean, Jesus, Jesus knows that God, the father is hearing his prayer. I mean, he knows it. Um, he was praying for true believers. He, you know, they belong to God who gave them to him and he, he kept them, you know, and MacArthur had a kind of quote in the sermon and I liked it. So I just wanted to read it to you. It's not super long. Um, he just said, it's as if the father gives a gift and it's up to the son to protect the gift and bring that one to glory. And that's John chapter 6. All that the Father gives to me, come to me. My job is to receive and not reject. My job is to guard and keep and raise them all in the end and in the end to glory. That then is the much 
That then is the much work of Christ, the work of getting all of us through all the vicissitudes and the issues of life and the battles with sin and doubts and fears to get us all to glory. That's his intercessory mediatorial ministry. You gave them to me and I'm going to get them to glory. That, to me, was kind of a clear way to see that that the Father gave all of the believers, and for those of us who are in Christ here in this room, we're part of that, gave the believers to Christ, and through His intercessory ministry, He ultimately is going to get us to glory. And that's incredibly comforting, and I don't know how often we think about that, but that's an incredible reminder to me. Um, So then we say, okay, so that was the New Testament. That was a couple thousand years ago. What does His intercession look like now? For us, obviously, we weren't we weren't there. So let's let's talk about that. And if y'all get warm, tell me. I have a little app on my phone. I'm warm. <laughs> Hang on, I got a little app on my phone where I can turn this down. Yeah, so you can turn to any of these if you want, but uh, they're, but they're on the um, they're on the screen there, so you can kind of just more listen. Okay. Um, But before I do that, I wanted you to know, for those of you who may not be familiar with the catechism book that we do with our children on Wednesday night, catechism questions 57 through 63. Let me find it. So again, lots of times we'll start these at a very young age, and so they clearly don't fully, I mean, sometimes we don't fully understand all of these truths, but we we use this Q&A format because their brains are like sponges and they can soak up a whole lot of things. And so they hear the basics. And then as they get older, we as parents are able to kind of fill in some of the details and what does this actually, what does this actually mean? But question, so I'm starting at question 57. So it's going to talk about the three roles. What does Christ do for his people? He does the work of a prophet, a priest, and a king. Question 58. Why is Christ a prophet? Because he teaches us the will of God. Why is Christ a priest? Because he died for our sins and prays to God for us. Why is Christ a king? Because he rules over us and defends us. Why do you need Christ as a prophet? Because I'm ignorant. Why do you need Christ as a priest? Because I'm guilty. Why do you need Christ as a king? Because I am weak and I am helpless. Now, we may not have these memorized, but those are our answers too. Those aren't just kid answers. Those are adult answers as well, right? So I thought that was just a just a, a good... A good synopsis of the three roles and just a reminder that Christ, you know, from the time of his earthly ministry up until now, perfectly fulfills those. So let's look at a handful of verses that we can go through that just, you know, kind of all over the New Testament, several in Hebrews, but all over the New Testament a little bit, just to kind of remind us what does Christ's intercession look like right now. Um, so if we look at 1 Timothy 2.5, for there is one God... And there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. So again, talking about there's the fact that there is a mediator, and not only that, there's one mediator. He's the supreme intercessor between God and fallen humanity. 1 John 2, 1. If anyone does sin, and we all do, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So there's the word advocate. We may not have used that at the beginning. We talked about kind of our definitions, but advocate is another synonym that's commonly used. Okay, Hebrews. There's a lot in Hebrews on this topic, by the way, but Hebrews 7.25. He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession 
for them. So Christ lives today to make intercession for those of us who draw near to God. And uttermost is, you can kind of say, perfection, you know, that sort of thing. So basically, you know, he secures our salvation by his current you know, intercession. Um, somebody said it this way, I forget who did, but you know, Christ died to pay the debt of our sin, and he lives to bring us to glory. He lives to make intercession, which is exactly what it says there in Hebrews 7.25. Um, and here's something that I thought was interesting to note, and this may be basic, and I may be the only person that ever heard this, that has ever not heard this before, but um, you know, when Christ said his work on the cross was finished, it, it was finished in a sense. You know, the, his priestly work of atonement, of sacrifice, he paid for our sins completely and in full, finished. Um, but his work on behalf of the elect isn't finished. It's still going on now through this ministry of, of intercession, and it will never cease. Um, it began when he took pl- his place at the right hand of God. It's his priestly work of intercession, and it's one of the many reasons why he's called the great high priest, right? So this is his ongoing work that he's doing on our, our behalf. Again, hopefully this is mostly reminders. But um, Hebrews 4, 4, 14 to 16, is a little bit longer, but since then... We have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Um, so it talks here about the great high priest who passed through the heavens. So he basically went to heaven after making the perfect sacrifice. Um, similar in the Old Testament, how a priest would have to pass through various areas to ultimately get to the, the, most, the most holy place. Um, and then it, but then it talks about kind of this dynamic of you know, Jesus being fully God and fully man while he was here on earth. Uh, and when it refers to him in, in the name Jesus, it's his humanity, the son of God, it's his deity. Um, he experienced life just like we do. The obvious, one of the huge differences, he, he never sinned, right? Um, but then unlike the Old Testament rulers, um, for our sake, you know, Christians can actually approach God's throne of grace through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We don't need one of the sessions, or somebody talked about getting, or maybe Corey, getting access to a, a ruler, a president, or whatever. Um, you'd have to get on the agenda. You probably have to know somebody. It had to be very important to do that. Um, through Christ and His intercession, we have access to God anytime we want access to God. Um, Romans. Let me flip to the next one. Romans five eight through ten. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. So we we know that we are ultimately justified um, by the blood of Christ, but you know what Paul's saying through, here through Romans, even much more, I mean, even more important than the atonement, we'll be saved um, from the wrath of God, we'll be reconciled, much more 
is his intercession ministry. You know, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Much more now that we are reconciled shall, shall we be saved by his life. Obviously, both of those are, are vital and, and, and critically important. Um, but it just, you know, again, me being a lifelong Southern Baptist, um, you hear about the cross, the cross, the cross, the cross. And we should. And we should hear about that all the time. Um, but this concept of what Christ is doing and how he's ruling and reigning on the throne now, at least for me, that wasn't as heavily emphasized in my past, you know, before I came here. Um, and, and so this has just been a really good reminder for me of what he's doing on our behalf. And again, sorry, I'm quoting MacArthur again, but I, I really like a couple of things he said. He says, uh, do I have this? Okay. Sorry, I forget. Um, This is from MacArthur about 10 years ago. He became our advocate. He became our intercessor. He became our great high priest at the Father's right hand in the heavenly holy of holies. He is always, all the time, at the supernatural work of intercession for the strength and security of his redeemed people still struggling on the earth. And because he was in all points tempted like as we are, fully man, at the same time fully God, he knows our weaknesses. He knows our temptations. He knows the enemy's strategies. And so he intercedes for us with full understanding as our caretaker, our protector, our defender, and the shepherd of our souls. And his intercession is to assure that we come to glory in the end. How awesome is that? Right? Uh, I mean, he's restating a lot of the things that we've been talking about so far, but I, I like that really kind of concise um yeah, just expression of, of what he's doing. The um, we don't we don't typically use the Westminster Catechism, but uh, it does have some pretty good questions in there. So one of the questions they ask is 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 on this topic, question fifty five of the Westminster Larger Catechism. So the question is, how does Christ make intercession? So I guess. I guess if we were teaching our kids this, they would have to be a little bit older because this is kind of a longer answer than, than the ones from ours that we use. But Christ makes intercession by his appearing in our nature continually before the Father in heaven in the merit of his obedience and sacrifice on earth, declaring his will to have it applied to all believers, answering all accusations against them and procuring for them quiet of conscience, notwithstanding daily failings, access with boldness to the throne of grace and acceptance of their persons and services. So if you haven't kind of caught the theme through the scripture and some of these quotes, you know, in particular, you know, answering all accusations against them and procuring for them the quiet of conscience. Obviously that doesn't mean that we don't go through trials and hardships and things of that nature. Um, But think about what the life of the Christian would be like if we didn't, I mean, it, it, be fundamentally different if we did not have him 24 severing 24 by 7 answering all questions and accusations against them um there's a if you go to the it may be the last handout um or second to last there's a there's a an article actually it's from joel beakey and a guy named smalley from reform systematic theology volume two no i did not read reform systematic theology volume two but thankfully Guys like Alan and Corey and Tommy read stuff like that, and then they give me like photocopies and say, this is a good section to read. So I read a section <laughs> of that. Um, anyway, so uh, guys are gifted in different ways. I'm not gifted in some of this. But um, these guys, I think, did a really good job. And I'm not going to you know, go into great detail on all of these, but they did a really good job, I think, of taking a very thorough look at Christ's 
priestly intercession, which is going on now. And I, I mean, I think we've really been kind of talking through all of these things. And I just put the scriptures here for future. If y'all want to go back and, and look at them, you can see that a number of them are in, in, um, in Hebrews, but it's basically 12 different um, points that they made about his intercession. And so I'll, I'll kind of briefly go through those and, and um, just give a very, very short context on them. But um, Christ's priestly intercession is holy. Obviously, Christ is without sin, right? He intercedes with perfect love and purity of his motive. Number two, Christ's priestly intercession is heavenly. Obviously, Christ is still in heaven. He has been there since he ascended, and he's sitting at the right hand of of God, right? Christ's priestly intercession is perpetual. Unlike the priests of the Old Testament, who obviously were men and died and weren't priests their entire lives, whatever, they had durations. Christ is our priest, great high priest, forever, right? Um, um, Christ's priestly intercession is authoritative, So Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. He does not necessarily fall prostrate before the Father, pleading for mercy. He's sitting at the right hand of of God. Um, And he's interceding as one who has already accomplished the redemption by his blood. So what's, what's legal? So number five, Christ's priestly intercession is legal. So Christ averts the condemnation of those charged with breaking the law and establishes their justification. So going back to the the very beginning, Christ is the advocate in the divine courtroom, right? He's the advocate for us pleading our case on behalf of of God the Father. Christ's priestly intercession is protective. Christ defeats the great accuser. That's in the Revelation passage there. And there's a uh, Dutch Dutch American Reformed theologian in the 1800s named Louis Burkhoff who said, Satan, the accuser, is ever bent on bringing the char- bringing charges against the elect, but Christ meets them all by pointing to His completed work. So again, He's He's um, you know, acting as the buffer between us and and Satan. Christ's priestly intercession is personal. Um, so in that Hebrews six twenty passage, there talked about Christ entered heaven as the priestly forerunner of His people, of His specific people that the Lord gave Him. Um, effectual number eight. Christ's priestly intersection, intercession, well, how many times have I said that? <laughs> intercession is effectual. Um, Christ is able to save to the uttermost, which we said was kind of to perfection, since he always lives to make intercession for them. That's the Hebrews 7 passage. His priestly intercession is particular. He intercedes for particular people that the Father has given him, and that's back to that John 17 passage that we talked about earlier. Christ's priestly intercession is comprehensive. So Christ asked the Father to grant his people spiritual preservation, sanctification, unity, and glorification. Again, from John 17. His priestly intercession is compassionate. He sympathizes with man's weaknesses, but again, without sin, which is why he's able to represent. Christ's priestly intercession is unique. So Christ alone intercedes as the mediator between God and men, no others. So... So what? So why do, why do we care? What's, uh, how do we apply? I always try to, if, if nothing else, for me, I, I try to say, okay, so this is great. What do we learn here today? And more importantly, well, not more importantly, but in addition to that, how, do, how does this change this afternoon, tomorrow? Uh, you know, either my actions, my attitudes, sort of things, whatever. Um, I've got a handful of things that I'll mention there, but I wanted to read this quote that I thought was really awesome by 
Robert Murray McShane, which I, who I think has been quoted by Tommy and others before. He was a, a Scottish theologian in like the mid-1800s. Um, he says, I ought to study Christ as an intercessor. If I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, If I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a million of enemies. Yet the distance makes no difference. He's praying for me. Sorry, I'm getting soft to my old age. Um, so the, the point there is, if you are in Christ, it's just as if he's right there down the hall. So when you're in your living room, going through stuff. If you could hear Christ down the hall praying for you, how emboldened would you be to live for his glory? And he is. You just don't see him down the hall. So that is what I hope we get out of this session today is a reminder that that's what he's doing 24-7, 365, even on the days where we feel like he's a billion miles away. He's doing it for us even on those days. So, sorry, let me get back to the slide. And I apologize if I've made any of y'all cry. Um, So here's a handful of things. This reminds us, hopefully, of our reliance on the exalted Christ. Our reliance on the exalted Christ. And I think Corey hit it earlier today where he was talking about um, if, if we are proclaiming Christ and not praying to him, it is a sign of pride. It's obviously, our spiritual health is not where it needs to be, but it's also a sign of, of pride. And praying and realizing what Christ is doing on our behalf re- re- puts us in our place and we realize what he's doing for us, right? Um, and we can approach God through Christ. You know, and this is this is why we pray in Jesus' name. You know, and I have the John 14 through 16. I mean, Jesus is commanding, uh, commanded his disciples to pray in his name, you know, and, you know, I, I should have researched sort of the history on, you know, praying and when, you know, I, I grew up in church and you just used to hear people say, in Jesus' name I pray, you know, and that was just, to me as a kid, that was just kind of what you said to close out a prayer, right? It was part of the amen, right? Didn't really understand why we said that until later in life. Um, and, and if you even notice now, and I've heard some people say this, but if you even notice now, a couple of our elders, when they get a chance to pray on Sunday mornings, some of them will start out and say, um, they're praying in Jesus' name, and then they pray, right? Which really, if you think about it, that, that might be a better way to do it. I'm not saying y'all have to do that, or I, I don't even probably do it most of the time, just out of habit sometimes. But really, that's that's the posture that we ought to come to prayer in that, you know, I'm approaching the Father, but I'm approaching the Father because the Lord is there on my behalf. So Lord, in your name, I pray, and then whatever the prayer, you know, ends up being. But just, it just reminds us of our reliance on the exalted Christ. Um, It will hopefully help, you know, remembering this will hopefully help us find consolation and hope. You know, in that Hebrews 6, uh, 17 to 20, I think it was actually maybe verse 20 where it talks about Christ being the forerunner. Um, He confirmed the unbreakable promise of God that he will ultimately bless his people. So just recognizing that God is our advocate, God in in Christ is our advocate. Um, Third thing, gives Christians confidence in their justification, in their salvation, right? Um, Christ appearing before God confirms that he is who he says he was, right? Uh, he appears before God on our behalf, and that just confirms that his blood sacrifice ultimately really did atone the guilt of our sins 
once and for all, right? So we're, we're secure in his blood, not on anything that we did, but on him and him alone. Um, number four, sh- this should encourage Christians to be quick to confess sin to God. Um, Christians should immediately confess our sins with faith in Christ's propitiation and intercession since God is faithful to forgive and cleanse us. You know, it's often said, um, you know, Christians, um, when you become a Christian, you don't quit. Well, how do they say it? We don't, we, don't, we don't quit becoming sinners, but we're quick to ask for forgiveness, right? Now, hopefully over time through sanctification, your sins would, would diminish, but we're not, we don't uh, stop sinning, but hopefully as through the Holy Spirit and through the people in our lives, when we recognize uh, that we um, are sinning, that we would be quick to confess ultimately to the Lord. Um, and it increases our expectation and our comfort in prayer. Just to know that Christ is our advocate and he sympathizes with us perfectly, we can confidently approach God's throne knowing that he's there advocating on our behalf. So we have a few minutes. Thoughts, I'll just open it up a little bit. Um, I don't know, some of you guys may be, maybe this is uh, more more commonly thought about or talked about in your homes, uh, Christ and his role now and as, as intercessor, that sort of thing, than me. And so maybe I'm, maybe I just kind of have my some of my priorities out of whack, but um, is this something that's, that's, um, I'm not going to say it was new to you, but is this something that it's a little bit less prominent in your minds? I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm reading the room wrongly, but I don't know. So give me, give me thoughts on, on this topic. Is this something that's, that you commonly think about, talk about, pray about, read about, or, or not as much? I see a few of these. I know in the, um, Systematic theology class in the fall. Mm-hmm. There was there was a section where we talked a lot about that. Okay. And it was just really helpful for my understanding too. Yeah. This is just a good reminder. Yeah. I think good application mm-hmm. and understanding of this. Yeah. Good. Other thoughts. Thank you. I think it's helpful for someone like me that falls into the trap of I check the box to know that like in the because it falls in one and then spectrum and the other like cool we're praying X number of minutes mm. we're really we're in it we're, you know or well I haven't prayed at all so why even try knowing that like on either end of the spectrum Christ is consistent mm-hmm. in all of that yeah it's not my consistency has nothing to do with Jesus yeah and praise the Lord for that, right? <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. Well, and I just think, like like I said, that's probably why I got a little emotional when I read that that quote, just because I think sometimes, um, Tommy said it a little while ago, and Amy and I have talked about it a lot at home, but, you know, uh, let, me, let me get it right. Um, basically, our confessional theology, which is what we say and what we believe and what we would tell people we believe, needs to match our uh, functional theology, right? So basically, do our actions line up with our words, you know, in, in layman's terms? You know, um, and, and oftentimes we think about it in just the realm of God's, you know, God's sovereign, but yet we are anxious and nervous and worried and, and you know, we kind of sometimes act like he's not. And I'm not diminishing anxiety and those kind of things, but you know what I mean? Um so I would have, you know, I would tell you all the things that we talked about in today. I would have, and probably most of y'all walked into the room believing all of these things and knowing many of these things. But how often do we not necessarily function that way on the daily, right? If like Christ was down the hall 
praying on our behalf and we can audibly hear him, do we function like that? I don't, not all the time. And so it's a good, it was a great reminder for me um, that he is pleading on my behalf every single day. And sometimes the things that bother me, stress me, get me worked up, whatever, when you think about it in that context, it, it really puts it in its proper place, right? And at least, you know, it's proper priority. Not that we don't have to deal with things and, and not that we don't have to go through stuff, but just recognizing what we really say we already knew and really we already really do believe, um, putting that into practice and just leaning leaning on the Lord and, and His strength, you know, when He's when He's doing that on our behalf. That has been helpful for me as I've prepared. But don't you think the reason why you go through these things is to bring you to Christ? Oh, yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. If everything was all hunky dory, everything would just be thank you yeah. for your blessings. Thank you for your salvation. Yeah, and, and I got it. I take a break. I got it today, God. I'm doing pretty good. Maybe a little trial yeah. here and there, bring me back to my knees. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I, I've had I've had a couple of recent conversations with people who are going through health things or financial things or whatever, and uh, that's what we've talked about. You know, oftentimes, all, you know, so often that's yes, absolutely. You know, yeah, we. We, uh, we wouldn't walk around saying we've got it all covered, but sometimes we act like we've got it all covered, and the Lord likes to remind us mm-hmm. we and don't. a little bit harder and a little bit harder to however long it takes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Any other thoughts? I was just going to yeah. say, you know, when you were asking if this, if this crisis intercessor is prominent in our thoughts, and I mean, isn't it interesting that we were... But we're probably much more aware of Christ's incarnation. We are very aware of his sacrificial death. We are very aware that, you know, he resurrected as he, you know, as it was told that he would or whatever. But we're, then we're not at, you know, the, his his role as intercessor is no less valuable yeah. You know, yeah. to us. Yeah. Yeah, it was a good reminder to me. Well, let me close this in prayer. I think we might be a couple minutes early, so be be cautious of that if you uh, if you take off. Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity we've had to to open your Word and maybe for the most part just be reminded of Christ and His role as our advocate, as our mediator, as our intercessor. Lord, forgive us when we do have pride in our lives and we don't think we need to pray as often as you've commanded us to or don't recognize what your son is doing for us on our behalf. Lord, I pray that you would use these scriptures that we've gone through today and and, um, the thoughts by some of these theologians and pastors that you would use it not just to add information to our brains but that we would apply it to our lives and we would recognize the importance of prayer and that we would recognize the importance of Christ's intercession on our behalf and that we would take comfort in that and we would be emboldened by that and that you would continually remind us of that. Lord, forgive us when we fail you. Forgive us of our sins. And we know that you'll forgive us. In Christ's name, amen.